turn it up nice and loud, and let's hear chapter 1. That's not loud enough. Chapter 1. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. Through the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, a keldama, 
that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, Then they pray. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Yeah, I was waiting. So that's chapter one there. Notice when we did our introduction, we talked about Theophilus. Who remembers about Theophilus? Perhaps not an actual person. The word Theophilus means lover of God. So uh, scholars believe that Luke is addressing uh, acts to everyone who loves God. So part of the church that Theophilus would not necessarily be an actual person. So he starts off here, um, you know, he, my most excellent Theophilus, or he, he talks about Theophilus, and he talks about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, Acts is aimed at those who love God, who love Jesus, who love doing God's will, amen? And that's the church. Uh, we as believers, you know, have to protect that love that we have, amen? Because our love can go cold, our love can be divided, our love can be uh, enticed away or seduced away, and that's something that we have to watch out for to protect that love for Jesus that we have because it makes us part of the body of Christ. So he addresses it to Theophilus, and uh, he, Dr. Luke wants to give an account uh, to those who love God about what Jesus did and taught. See, this was important. He, he did that in the Gospel of Luke. He showed what Jesus did, how he walked, how he ministered, how he healed, how he loved people, how he disciplined, how, you know, just how he conducted himself. Now in the book of Acts, sh shifting from showing what Jesus did and, and what he taught, the book of Acts, he wants to show what Jesus commanded the early church to do. You know, it's good that we know what Jesus did. Amen? How many know that that's important? But what are we doing? <laughs> you know, we're, that's what Acts is about. What we're supposed to be doing now in the earth. And, you know, Luke wants to make that shift. And that's why he, he calls us Theophilus. So all you guys who love God, until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So understand that the apostles were given instruction on how to conduct the early church from the mouth of Jesus. Now, the, the, the scripture talks about 
us keeping the apostles' doctrine. We have to know what Jesus did. We also know what the apostles were commanded because the church is still functioning as Jesus commissioned it from the inception here. We saw Jesus commission them and then he kind of just floated away. Weren't, weren't those special, special effects? Did you know the G- Jesus' little thrust at the end there? I guess he had to get up and go, you know? I love stuff like that. But So what Jesus did is important. What we're supposed to do is very important. Verse 3, the fact that Jesus appeared bodily to his disciples and to others in that period of 40 days is well documented. Understand that. There was no doubt that he had risen from the grave. You know, people want to speculate now, and they want to say it was a hoax, it was a farce. Listen, these people saw him for 40 days. They believed it so much that they were willing to die excruciating deaths rather than to deny he had been resurrected. Look, you can make up a hoax, you can make up a story, you can try and spin something for your own gain, but you're not going to die for a lie. And all these apostles who saw Jesus raised from the dead were willing to die horrible deaths. John was boiled in oil, Peter crucified upside down, Paul beheaded. Uh, Not one of them had a a nice pleasant, except for John. John, after he was boiled in oil, he survived. And then he went to the Isle of Patmos, wrote the book of Revelation and died of natural causes. He's the only one. Everybody else martyred. So understand, the fact that he was risen was well documented. For 40 days, he appeared to all of those who followed him. And people, uh, you know, they believed that he had risen from the grave. Verses 4 and 5, the disciples were instructed by Jesus after his resurrection to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what Jesus said? You know, John baptized in water but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, notice what they they were told to do. They were told to wait for it. They had to go back to Jerusalem. They had to kind of hang out together, and they had to wait, you know? And think about many times, like, the last thing we like to do is wait. We've talked about that a lot of times. I mean, does anyone enjoy waiting online, waiting at the motor vehicle, waiting for something to come in the mail? You know, you click that thing on Amazon, and you're waiting for the knock at the door. Nobody likes to wait. Jesus tells them what? Hurry up and wait. So, you know, part of this was waiting. And, you know, notice John's baptism is mentioned here. And he said, you know, John's baptism was for repentance from sin. And I want you to note that there. In verses 4 and 5, he's taking the time to, to, to make this, you know, point here. John's baptism was the repentance of sin. And then that was the precursor to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was being filled with resurrection power. Okay, and I want you to see something. There's a pattern there that's still the same pattern today. You can't be filled with the Holy Ghost and walk in resurrection power if you haven't repented of your sin. You have to repent of your sin and what? Be born again first and be in Christ. And then if you believe in Christ, you can receive the Holy Spirit and walk in resurrection power. That's why people who say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Christian or I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm, you know, I'm filled with God and I have spiritual power. No, you don't. You can't get it that way. It's out of order. Believe and be baptized and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38. Amen. So there's a structure here. There's an order here. It kind of makes sense to us. When John was just baptizing people in water for the repentance of sin, it didn't didn't make as much sense until we realized, oh, that was preparing them to receive Christ and then to be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
What a good thing it is for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Someone smile at me, amen. Woo! How The resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in you and I. Oh, hallelujah. It's still the same pattern. Verses 6 and 7, uh, the first question the disciples ask is very telling here, and it shows the heart of men. It says, so when they had come together, they were asking him. Now, Jesus is there. He's risen from the grave. This is the first thing on their mind. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. So uh, look what happens here. The first question on the disciples' heart. Now listen, the first question you and I ask reveals what's in our hearts. And you might look at that and go, well, what's the point here? There's a very powerful point here. The first question that's on their hearts is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So what I want you to see here is that they wanted him to restore Israel, to deliver them from Roman rule, to deliver them from you know, the government uh, of the day that was oppressing them. So the first thing on their heart is, God, are you going to reestablish the kingdom of men? Are you going to establish our kingdom? Are you going to deliver us from oppression from the government? And Jesus, you know, that's very revealing because men are always worried about establishing the kingdoms of men. But as Christians, we can't be worried about the kingdoms of men. Yes, we love our country. Yes, we're thankful to be here. Yes, we enjoy the freedoms we have. But we've got to be Christians first. Amen? And understand this, you know, Peter and all of them, they, they were worried about Israel and, the, and, and, and these man-made things and, and rulership and dominion and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you know what? He, he basically says, it's not for you to know. He basically tells them, none of your business. Did you see Peter's face in the video? He's like. Because <laughs> he just got the divine smackdown from Jesus. You know, many times we want to know stuff from God and we, we kind of demand, and it's none of our business. It's, you know, it, it's for God to know. It's God controls these things. God, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Are you going to restore this? And what's going to happen to America? And what's going ha- to happen in the election? Listen, those things are in the Father's hands. And sometimes the things we demand that we want to know from God, God says, none of your business. But then he, you know, and we, all, we all love that answer, don't we? I mean, if anyone ever tells you that's none of your business, I mean, that's like, that's rude stuff. That's like missing teeth stuff right there. None of, you, none of my business. But, but, you know, when Jesus says it's none of your business, you just kind of take the whooping. So, you know, he, he basically says, it's not for you to know. It's none of your business. But, you know, the fate of earthly kingdoms in verse 8, he's basically saying are the father's business. He's going he's gonna to control what goes on in the nations. He's going to judge the nations. When Jesus returns for the millennial reign, he's going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. So God will take care of the nations. If you're paying attention to what's going on in the nations now, there's a lot of stirring. I mean, we are on the precipice at any moment for Ezekiel 38 to be fulfilled and Jesus to come back and catch away the church. What you see going on in the Middle East and with Russia and with Iran and with Israel, I mean, we are at the doorstep. And you know, and some of you have this look of complete ignorance out there, like, what's he, what doorstep? Where are we at? Listen, get ready, get oil in your lamp, be filled with God, amen? 
because he's coming back to take the church. We got to live ready. And all, all the signs are there. So God's going to hand her the kingdom. He, he says, that's none of your business. But in verse 8, he tells us what our business is. And this is a good thing for us to pay attention to. Here's our business. But you will receive power. He, he's saying, you know, it's not for you to know the times. It is, that's the Father's authority. You're going to receive power. And when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. So our business is what? To be filled with the Holy Spirit and to witness for Jesus Christ in the earth. Amen. Come on. If you're not excited about that, I got nothing else for you. <laughs> That's our job. Oh, I wanted, to, I wanted to build my own empire and be rich and be famous and be in household name. And everybody's saying, no, no, no. I just wanted to do nothing and flo uh, float away into obscurity and have everybody leave me alone. Some of us are saying, yes, yes, yes. You know, but the thing is, we, whether we want to be lofty or we want to be, you know, in obscurity, the truth is we're supposed to be witnesses. Wait, well, I don't feel like witnessing. You need to get filled with the Holy Ghost, amen? The reason that we don't have a burden for the lost and the reason that we don't want to witness to the gospel and the reason that we, we get apathetic towards the things of God is because we don't spend enough time at Jesus' feet to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's our business. <laughs> so help us, Lord. You know, when you're told to mind your business, you better mind it. When you're told what your business is, and I'm talking about when Jesus is saying it, you better do it, amen? So all of us, you know, need to think about that. Let's make adjustments. You know, the Holy Spirit is not given to the church to entertain the saints. You know, when I was coming up in the ministry and stuff, there were all these ministries that it was like, you know, it was like a, a, a circus show. They were doing all these things, what then? And they were just entertaining the, the sheep. Huh. And, and if you're saying, well, I miss that, it's not, you know... The Holy Spirit is not for our entertainment. He's for our empowerment to do something, amen? You know, sometimes I think the reason that God doesn't move or there's not an outpouring is because people just want the outpouring to feel excited or to get giddy or to get goosebumps or to see some of the power gifts or see some miracles, but they really don't want to get excited to do what our business is, which is to evangelize the lost and preach the gospel. Amen. And so our business is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's, it's not, you know, the Holy Spirit's not for our entertainment. He's for winning the lost. And how's he going to do it? Through a global evangelistic missionary effort. It's, you know, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. Do you see that? That's an evangelistic thrust that touches the whole world. Woo. You know, whether we realize this or know it or even care about it tonight. God is doing that with whosoever will be involved and be useful in his hands at this time. God is reaching the lost. He's reaching the continents of the world. He's reaching obscure people groups. You know, some of you remember we had the Salais here, missionaries from Ecuador, and they had translated the whole New Testament into a, 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 the Chichua language there so that these people could. God is using people to reach the lost. <laughs> it's happening you know, with or without the involvement of much of the Western church, but it's happening. So let's be a part of what God's doing, amen? Uh, verses 9 through 11 chronicle what we know as the ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, the scripture teaches that Jesus ascended into heaven. We got a really excellent video representation of that. 
Jesus is taken bodily from the earth into heaven. He rose right in plain view of their eyes. The disciples watched him, it said. I mean, you know, it's hard to depict this stuff in a video, but I don't know what the look on your face would have been, but here's Jesus, he's talking, he says something, then all of a sudden... I mean, I think there might have been a little bit more of a reaction. I don't know, at least with the people I hang out. What? Where are you going? You know, they just kind of stood there. <laughs> and Jesus, he, he's, he commissions them. He tells them what their business is. He tells them they're going to be his witnesses. They're going to evangelize. They're going to reach the whole entire earth. And, you know, then he leaves. And they're just standing there dumbfounded. And here come these two angels, right? And the angels show up not to just ask the worst question ever, which is, why do you stand there? What do you mean, why? He just floated away. You got, you got to ask why. That's not why the angels showed up to ask that question. They showed up to tell him, to tell them that the same way he left is how he's coming back. And that's what we got to take away from this. Jesus bodily left the earth and went into heaven. He's going to do that in reverse when he comes and he's going to leave heaven and he's going to come to earth. Come on now. And that's what we need to be watching for. You know, sometimes as a preacher, I'm up here preaching the word and I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. He's coming. He's going to split the eastern sky. He's coming. And people are looking at me like, yeah, right. <laughs> When? When is he coming? Is he coming this week? When? Uh, we've been waiting. When is he coming? Look, he, the word says he's coming. And that we don't know when. Remember, Jesus just told him, none of your business. When's he coming? None of your business. But he's coming. Our business is what? To preach and teach and evangelize until he comes and to watch for his coming. We got to watch for his coming because he's coming back. Live ready. Make sure there's oil in your lamps. I ain't sharing my oil with you. So he's, the way he left is the way he's going to come. Uh, you know, uh, he left. The cloud obscured him. He moved into heaven. You know, the disciples, you know, are kind of just, you know, they've been commissioned. Now he's gone, and uh, they're told what to do. The angels appear. You know, most scholars agree that Jesus' coming will happen in two stages. And uh, from what I have learned in studying the scriptures and uh, reading uh, authors and scholarship here is that he's going to come in two stages. The first coming, he's coming to catch the bride away. He's coming to rapture the church. You know, the church is mentioned in the beginning of the book of uh, Revelation. And then after chapter three, the church is not mentioned again until chapter 21. Why? Because the church is up in heaven uh, having the, the, the lamb's supper and all of that stuff. And, and, and the rewards are being handed out. And so Jesus will come first in a surprise coming. And it teaches it's a surprise rapture. One will be grinding and one will be taken and one will be left. And you, you could read all of these things in the New Testament. So he comes uh, and in the clouds, he catches up the church. But then the second stage of his coming in that he comes again to the Middle East and he's gonna, you know, he's gonna come there and he's gonna reveal himself to Israel. And the Bible says all of Israel will be saved in a day. I can't wait to see that, amen? I can't wait to see that till they, they receive the Messiah that they didn't see the first time. They're gonna, they're gonna see him the second time and all of Israel will be saved in a day. 
Listen, Jesus loves Israel. Jesus loves the Jews. They're still his chosen people. They may have turned their backs on him to a degree, but he has never quit on them. There's no replacement theology. There's no, God is still coming back. Jesus is still coming back for the Jewish people. And so it's a two-phase return. The way he left is the way he's coming. Uh, We know from our solid New Testament theology, he'll catch up the church, he'll deal with Israel, he'll deal with the Antichrist, he'll come to earth and rule for a thousand years, and, uh, and, and the church age will be over and the tribulation will begin. So there's a lot of stuff in there, but he, he left, he floated up, he's coming back down. Verses 12 through 14 talk about the upper room. And the upper room is a place in Jerusalem where they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, this verse shows uh, them being obedient to the instructions of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus was arrested, they were scattered. Their faith was shattered. Peter had denied him three times. This time after he came and he appears to them for 40 days. Look, no one is second guessing anything Jesus is saying at this point. Notice that's a good thing, amen? Obedience is very important. Doing what we're supposed to do, right? If God, I mean, how hard is this? If God tells us to do something, what do you think? Should we, should we pray about it? Should we ask somebody else's opinion? Should we see what Dr. Phil thinks? If Jesus tells us to do something, we should do it. And these guys are finally getting it. That's why the church is moving here. He, they're told to go to Jerusalem and wait, and they go to Jerusalem and wait. And they don't know when the Holy Spirit's gonna get poured out, but they're all together, and they're waiting in this upper room. Now, obedience is a very important thing, and we're seeing the, the threads of it in the early church here. Whatever Jesus tells them to do, they do. Now, uh, one of the vital elements of the Christian walk is obedience, and Uh, You know, notice this. They were obedient to be where they were told to be, and then they received the Holy Spirit. This is important. A lot of us miss out on spiritual blessings, on spiritual opportunities. Did you hear Jocelyn tonight when she was leading there? She was saying she asked God to put people in her way to to minister. We, We miss out on divine appointments. Why? Because we're not obedient. And we're not in the right place at the right time, amen. I, you know, I, my heart is my heart gets heavy to think when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out all the all the things I missed out on that God could have used me for, or did with me, or 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 used me to touch other people that I I didn't get them done because I wasn't obedient to be at the right place at the right time. God bless you tonight that you're in God's house on Wednesday night. And other people are home in their pajamas watching reruns on Netflix. Thank God you're in the right place at the right time that he can pour into you. Because listen, you got to be under the spout when the glory's poured out. Amen? Amen. You got to be at the right place at the right time. You know, a lot of people don't believe this. No, God will give me, you know, he'll give it to me. No, sometimes we just have to be obedient. And they were, and they went to the right place and and they sat there, you know, and we're going to be saddened and amazed in heaven when we find out the the things we missed out on because we, we weren't at the right place at the right time. We were too busy doing our own thing and we missed out on his thing. So let's minimize that by being obedient every chance we get. Now, there were... 11 remaining disciples in the upper room. Remember, Judas had done his thing. There's a big section here in chapter one about what Judas did. And 
some things that Peter says are pretty sobering, but you know, there's 11 disciples left and they're all in the upper room and the Bible says they're in one accord. And uh, that's not that they drove there in a Honda. That's not what that means. It means that they all had the same agenda, right? And that's a good thing. Why? Because one wasn't thinking, you know, you know, I want to take Peter's spot. And one wasn't thinking, you know, I want to start this ministry. And one wasn't thinking, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go back to fishing. No, they were all in one accord, which meant they had something that's really special and really important. It's unity. They had unity. And I want you to see that. Where does the Holy Spirit get poured out? Where there's unity. They were all together. They were obedient. So you've got obedience coupled with unity. And what happens? God moves in the midst of that. Now there were 11 there and the scripture names them. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So there were the 11. There were other people there. Verse 14 tells us something very important and special, and I alluded to it. It's that they were in unity. They were in one accord. So they were of one mind. The King James says one accord. Uh, the New American Standard says one mind, basically describing unity. Uh, they had no agendas, no divisions, no personal ambitions. And this is what we have to strive as Christians to be mature enough to maintain those things in the body. Amen? That we don't come to church, that we don't come to worship with ambitions, with divisions, with contention, with strife. Why? Because that fractures the unity in the body of Christ. You know, so many churches have been split by pride and personal ambition. If you've ever lived through a church split and you see what, what churches are splitting over, it's usually one person who doesn't want to submit to the person that God put in charge. And they split the church and they fragment the body and they destroy unity. Not good. So we protect unity by our maturity. Uh, they had it, it was very important. They also had devoted themselves to prayer. Consistent prayer coupled with unity, prepares us for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, this is, you know, when, I, when you mention prayer, that's when it gets really quiet. Because, you know, it's, it's like the devil will, you know, allow us to do almost anything except pray. When we try to pray, that's when he resists us the hardest. If you don't believe me, get up an hour early tomorrow and start to pray. Everything will happen. People will knock at your door, the neighbor's house will catch on fire, the phone will ring, your kids will scream, the coffee pot will explode. Try it and share your testimony next week. Because the enemy hates when the people of God pray consistently, and he really hates when they pray consistently and they're in unity, and, and, and he really hates when there's obedience there, because why? That's an atmosphere that's ripe for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need more prayer in our lives. We need more prayer in our churches. We need more prayer. God, help us to work that in, not by our own effects, but Lord, do it divinely. Help us to be in prayer, especially as we see the day approaching here. Uh, they had all of these elements in place. We're learning from that what's important. Verse 14 mentioned that there were other people there besides the 11. All the women were there. Say all the women. all the women. 
women were always involved in Jesus' ministry. Women were always there uh, amongst the apostles. The leadership structure God had designed that the men were the leadership. They were the apostles. But women always had part in the church, and they were always part of what God was doing. The first ones who discovered Jesus rose from the grave were not men. They were women. And they, they got to see the fact that he had risen, okay? So women were there, and they were part of what God was doing, and they were important in the kingdom of God, and they're important now. The disciples were the leadership core. They were all there. Uh, you know, the women also, Mary is mentioned by name, Jesus' mother, and all of Jesus' brothers were there. So that's a, that's a cool thing, that there was household salvation in Jesus' home, Amen that his brothers, were, you know, they must have thought in the beginning, he's crazy, we know who this kid is, he's nuts. But then they realized he's the Messiah and that his brothers were part of the, the group of the early church. They were in ministry. You know, some of them are gonna go on to write uh, scripture. Um, you know, Jesus affected his family. So a powerful thing there. In verse 15, Peter is seen at the forefront of the group. So Peter, who denied him three times, has been restored, and he is the leader of the early church, amen? So it just goes to remind us, a bad start doesn't mean you're finished. And a good start doesn't mean you'll have a good finish. You know, we can mess up, we can fail, we can flop, but God can lift us up and restore us. When, when Peter got straightened out, Jesus plugged him right back into his call. So we're going to see Peter rise to the forefront here as the leader in the early church in its formative stage. We're going to see God raise up the apostle Paul, and it's almost as if Peter passes off the baton once the church, early church is established and its structure is solid. He passes the baton to Paul, and, and the, Paul begins to evangelize the Gentile world. And, you know, we see two heads of leadership here that are God-ordained. So just for now, realize Peter is doing exactly what God called him to do. He is leading this early church group here. Now, it's a nice small little number, 120. It looks like a perfect size church for intimacy, a nice size for a church plant, 120 people. That's what God starts off with. And it's a good thing. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody can hold each other accountable. Sometimes, you know, we got these mega church models now where you, you, you can have the church so big that you could slip in and slip out and, and nobody knows you and nobody knows if you're missing and nobody keeps you accountable. Not good. Some people like that. Some people thrive on that. Oh, I can just, you know, I can just go as, do as much of the God thing as I want without accountability, without service. Not good. Sometimes smaller is better. And there's a right size for every church where it can function as it's supposed to. So notice 120 people, they're obedient, they're all in one accord, they're praying consistently, and they're waiting for Jesus to bring the fulfillment of the, uh, the scriptures and to pour out the Holy Spirit. Verses 16 through 20, uh, Peter gives a pretty graphic you know, explanation of what happened to Judas Iscariot, the 12th disciple. Judas... Uh, is identified as the betrayer. He subsequently commits suicide uh, after he betrays Jesus. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter points out that that's the fulfillment of scripture from the mouth of King David. So Peter describes Judas in this way in verse 17. He was part of Jesus's inner circle. He had the same place in ministry, the same opportunities and the same empowerment as other disciples. He premeditated his betrayal of Christ and he led the arrest party to them and then he did it for money. He took 30 pieces of silver to, to, 
to, to betray Jesus. So he gives that description of him, something we're pretty familiar with. In verse 18, Judas takes the money that he betrayed Jesus with, the silver, and he buys himself a field, and then he takes his own life in that field. Really a sad state of affairs here to have someone who had such access to Jesus, to see all the miracles, to be filled with power. He went out and he evangelized when they were sent out two by two. Jesus you know, gave him every opportunity, yet secretly his heart was corrupt. He, 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 you know, he leads the accusers to him. He betrays Jesus. He buys this field. It's, no, it's known as Hakeldama, the field of blood. And it's where you know, Judas offed himself. But you, know, you might say, well, why is it called the field of blood? Because Innocent blood was betrayed there. Jesus' blood was betrayed by Judas, and so there, that was blood money that he bought that field with. Then Judas does kill himself there. In Matthew 27, 3 to 5, it says this, then Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw that he had condemned himself, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So he, he's like, oh, I can't believe I did this. I'm gonna return the money. Verse four, saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed innocent blood. Notice that. And they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And they cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he went and hanged himself. So that idea of blood money and the shedding of his own blood and the betraying of in Jesus' innocent blood, that's why the field is called Hakeldama. It is the field of blood. Judas finishes himself there, and it's really a sad thing to see someone who had every opportunity to do the right thing, but yet let their flesh pull them out of that and cost them their life. Uh, verse 20 shows that Judas's actions were foretold by David in the book of Psalms, and they are a fulfillment of two of David's uh, writings in the book of Psalm. Let me read you Psalm 69:25. It says, may their camp be desolate, may none dwell in their tents. Psalm 109:8. let his days be few, let another take his office. So uh, Peter, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, is telling the early church, this is the fulfillment of two prophetic verses from the Psalms out of the mouth of King David. Did David understand what was gonna happen? That Judas was gonna betray the Messiah? No, didn't understand it at all. Did he speak and write under the unction of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So understand there are prophetic fulfillments going on in everything that was done here. Peter chooses to point that out and it's good for us to understand. Verses 21 through 22, Peter makes the case for selecting a 12th apostle, and there's two prerequisites to it. The man has to be with them from the beginning. He says, from the baptism of John to the day Jesus was taken from them. So the person had to see Jesus and had to know Jesus and had to be there. And number two, he had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection. So those are the two prerequisites he gives for apostleship. And uh, those are something that, you know, we consider. And, and if the uh, modern day outworking of apostleship uh, is valid. Also, uh, verses 23 through 26, the two candidates are Barsabbas and Matthias. Lots are drawn. Did you notice that? They kind of shake the dice and, you know, do the... <laughs> That's the way they did it. And Matthias gets the nod. 
um, and he becomes the 12th. Now, just I want to say one thing about this. A lot of Bible teachers have a lot of questions about Peter's actions here, whether these, uh, th- this decision he made to replace the 12th was God's idea or his idea. And notice we don't hear too much, uh, any- anything really significant about Matthias from that point forward, but God raises up a 12th apostle himself, and his name is Paul. So some Bible teachers conclude, you know, just the fact that they you know, kind of drew lots and they, they came up with this idea that, you know, there again, it wasn't God's idea. He never initiated. God raises up a 12th. It's the apostle Paul. We don't hear anything about Matthias doing anything significant, but God had a, an apostle that he had his eye on and he's going to raise this guy up from nowhere. And you say, well, one of, the, one of the prerequisites of apostleship is that you had to have, you know, seen Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus. Paul had that because Jesus knocked him to the ground and blinded his eyes and, and he revealed himself to him. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. So this apostle Paul that God raises up goes on to evangelize the Gentile world and write two-thirds of the New Testament. Matthias just kind of goes away into obscurity and not mentioned again. So I guess you have to decide was that man's idea or God's idea? And chapter one finishes. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you tonight for our start and for all that's going on here. Help us to understand that uh, the framework of the early church that we're going to be just sifting through here is for us to build into our own lives. We should be obedient to everything you've commanded. Jesus, we should honor you in what you have said and what you have required of us. So God, help us to be obedient and help us, Lord, to be obedient enough to be in the right place at the right time. God, every time we're doing our own thing, uh, Father, I pray that we would learn to do your thing, that we would allow you to put us uh, in the place where we can have divine appointments and see you use us. God, help us to be humble and obedient in everything we do. And Father, to wait when you say wait, because whatever you're going to do in us is worth the wait. Help us to live in such a way that we attract the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and teach us to walk in the Spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.